Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome in here to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Live and in color, we are back. The YouTube feed is up and running for all of you that asked. And thank you for asking. I, I just I take that as a personal compliment that you missed my my welcoming face or something to that effect. Something not weird. Not something not weird at all, because that that, that would send me down a path I really don't want to go. We have an excellent show for you today. Two heavy hitters of American soccer commentary are coming on the show. First up, Alexi Lalas from Fox Soccer will join us. Fox Sports will join us in a couple of minutes. And then the bottom of the hour, actually 1040, let me get my times right. Grant Wall from Sports Illustrated will join us. We'll talk uh, to Alexi about uh, Jurgen Klinsmann's comments, his reaction to Jurgen Klinsmann calling out American players for the lack of fitness. And we'll talk to Grant Wall uh, about the memories of Frank Borgie and the 1950 World Cup upset of England in that campaign, talking to Walter Barr, maybe trickle into some MLS CBA stuff, and uh, Tim Cahill out at Red Bulls. Grant Wall has a very good interview with Tim Cahill as he departs MLS for China. Let's do the headlines, get you started here on a Thursday morning. Hamas Rodriguez Injured in Real Madrid's win yesterday against Sevilla and will miss two months with surgery. A bit of a blow to Real Madrid. Obviously, they uh, going through a, a, a brief period without Cristiano Ronaldo uh, with uh, his ban for his red card action against um, uh, against Cordoba a couple weeks ago. And now James Rodriguez sidelined the Colombian will miss a couple of months. Not good news for him. Uh, if you're going to miss time, it's one of these things. If you're going to miss time, I suppose now's the time to miss it, and then you could conceivably come back into the team right when things are really kicking up for a title uh, in La Liga, for a Champions League title, perhaps later on in the summer for Colombia, for James Rodriguez. Uh, Speaking of internationals, Ivory Coast beat DR Congo 3-1. Goals from Yaya Torre, Gervinho, and Wilfred Cannon put put the, uh, the Ivory Coast into the final Of the Africa Cup of Nations, they will face the winner of Ghana and Equatorial Guinea. That game goes off today. And remember, no Asamoah Gion for for Ghana out with an injury there. Speaking of the MLS CBA, Charles Bohm, good friend of the show, writer for MLSsoccer.com, SoccerWire.com, and many other places, is reporting uh, that MLS players have been told to prepare for a strike. Little progress made with with one month to go. Until the season kicks off, in fact, I think that's one month as of today, uh, MLS players have been told, this is where we dig our heels in and get ready for a strike. There are some questions on this, and we may present this to Grant Wall um, later on in the show, maybe even Alexi Lawless. How do you prepare for a strike if you're a player on $48,000 a year? How do you do that exactly? What kind of nest egg can you possibly have to, to hold you over during a period when you're not getting paid for your job? If you're on $48,000 a year, will there be some sharing? Will there be a rainy day fund contributed to by the players who are on much, much more money than that? Uh, Dortmund lost to Augsburg yesterday. It just goes, it gets worse and worse and worse for Borussia Dortmund. We talked to, to Stefan Ersfeld about their plight uh, recently and, and losing to Augsburg here, one nothing, uh, not a good way to continue their attempt to get off the foot of the table. Bottom of the league, Borussia Dortmund. After the bath of the game, after the fans uh, at Dortmund's home stadium whistling in displeasure with the performance of the team, you had Roman Weidenfeller and Mats Hummels going over to the fans, trying to talk to them, apologize, I suppose, explain some of what's going on there. That's just not. I, I, I don't. I don't understand this. I, I really don't. And every time we have an expert on who can talk a little bit of German soccer, we talked to Mike Goodman last week. We talked to Stefan Ersfeld this week. No one seems to really understand what's going wrong. Yes, they have injuries. Yes, they've had uh, they've had some setbacks. Yes, their shot ratios aren't very good, as Mike Goodman said. I'm not getting that stat right, but you understand what I'm saying. This does not explain how a team that won back-to-back uh, Bundesliga titles, finished second last year, made it to a Champions League final, that doesn't explain how they crash this hard. And Jurgen Klopp remains uh, protected a nerd. He's just sitting there, no one providing any real pressure, and I'm not saying that he deserves it. Well, maybe I am saying he deserves it. They are in last place. 
They are Borussia Dortmund. There's all of that off the field financial issue, those financial issues that they had at the beginning of the decade, the beginning of the century, rather, have uh, sort of faded away. They don't have those problems anymore. They can spend money to bring in talent. And when they, even when they lose talent to, say, Bayern Munich, they can replace those players with players who at least keep them in the conversation for a Champions League place in, in Germany. This is stunning. This is, uh, this is, I, I don't know what the, what the equivalent would be. But let's imagine Manchester City going from where they've gone, where they've climbed to, to a last place team in the Premier League next season. That's how dramatic this is. Liverpool beat Bolton in the uh, in an FA Cup replay, excuse me, two one to advance in that tournament. Uh, Liverpool continuing on in in the FA Cup, um, having to to go twice around with Bolton in order to do so. And happy birthday to the aforementioned Cristiano Ronaldo turns 30 years old today. If only I had accomplished nearly as much in my first 30 years as Cristiano Ronaldo has. Certainly would uh, certainly covet his money. How could you not? Certainly covet his athletic prowess, obviously. I mean, you know, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I can't even get in the same stadium as Cristiano Ronaldo from an athletic standpoint. 30 years old. Is, does it go down from here? Does it go downhill for Cristiano Ronaldo? Probably not. Probably not for a couple more seasons. We'll see uh, just how good he can be over the course of the rest of his career. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, let's fire up the phone line and get Alexi Lalas on the air. We'll talk Jurgen Klinsmann's comments and Alexi's displeasure with those comments. It's Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning and joined now on the telephone by one Alexi Lalas from Fox Sports. As of yesterday, I fired up Alexi Lalas. So I'll ask you, Alexi, have you, have you calmed down just a little bit? Oh, you know, I get riled up and then I calm down. It's, you know, an, an up and a down type of uh, existence for me about these things. But, you know, I... I I, uh, I I don't apologize for my passion when it comes to this sport. It's what uh, keeps me continuing on in it, and uh, I, I love it. So uh, it's it's part of who I am, and I, I I don't want to change. Absolutely, passion is part of the deal. Now, the passion that was uh, brought forth yesterday in you comes from Jurgen Klinsmann making some comments, very public comments about the fitness level of American players. He has uh, specifically identified this cultural problem we have, Alexi, where American players don't know how to end a season and then two weeks later get right back into training at Athletic, whatever the, the place is in Phoenix. He identified that specifically. Is he getting paid for that, by the way? Is that a paid sponsorship? I'm sorry. I digress. The, the, <laughs> the fitness issue is what, you know, of, of everything to criticize American players for, Alexi, fitness is an odd thing to point to. That you know that, and that was my point uh, yesterday. I mean, this is, um, and this was after you read it. Look, by the way, I, I love Jurgen Klinsmann because he is the gift that just keeps on giving. He makes my job and others uh, like you and, and all of our colleagues out there uh, easy. Gives us endless amount of content. As I said before on, on numerous occasions, uh, we can argue about how good a coach he is or how bad a coach he is, but he asks questions that either we haven't been asked before. Uh, or we don't want to answer, and uh, that is a good thing, and that uh, encourages uh, discourse, and I think that is good it's in our game that doesn't have enough of it. But when it comes to this particular uh, uh, head-scratching moment yesterday, this is a load of you-know-what. This is a smokescreen smoke when you really look at it, and this is what happens when coaches in any sport run out of ideas, and I do take it personally, and I, and I, you know, I was emotional, and I was passionate yesterday because it is personal to me because it strikes at the heart of what the U.S. player has been since, as, as long as I can remember, even back in the 1900s where many of your listeners weren't even uh, in born, <laughs> born. Because we can argue and we can discuss whether uh, U.S. soccer players are horrible when it comes to technique or just completely moronic when it comes to tactics. But fitness, 
has never been a question. It's the one thing that you can actually control, and it's the one thing that if you ask people around the world, uh, it's to, to a man, to a woman, they will always point to fitness when it comes to, to U.S. soccer. So, but, but let's, let's, here, here, here's what I'll do. I will concede that, just for the sake of this argument, that Jurgen Klinsmann is right. Well, guess what? It happened on your watch, Jurgen Klinsmann. You are responsible for it. You are to blame. You've had three years to fix it, and nobody else. So you, you, can't, you can't have it both ways. But we all know that Jurgen Klinsmann at times uses this, um, uh, this pulpit uh, and uses the media to, uh, to ask these questions and also to motivate. Uh, my question is and my, uh, my worry is that at what point does this type of public motivation fall on deaf ears? And if yeah. you're trying to light a, fighter, a fire, what happens if those players um, just tune out? Because that is a bigger problem for Jurgen Klinsmann than uh, any type of fitness problem that he uh, that he has created. You know, every time he he talks about these issues, whether it's fitness in this case or in the past about you know the aggressiveness of the American player or, or creating a style or um, you know the, the, he brought this up again in the interview on America's pregame on Fox Sports yesterday. The issue of going to the supermarket and and, and being you know criticized by the public and having that pressure and, and that being something that creates a better soccer atmosphere and a better team. Every time he does that, I view that through this, this again, this sort of Jurgen Klinsmann is trying to, he, he's trying to teach us. He's trying to, he, his, his mindset is I'm, I'm trying to change a culture and therefore I must teach these lessons to everybody. Is that how you view even the fitness thing? Or is this a specific message to the players? Well, I think this is a message to the players, but I also think that, that he believes, and look, I, I, I can actually agree with him that the more, um, pressure and critique and analysis and at times criticism that players are under. Um, I, I believe that's good. I believe that that drives and that's that's uh, you know a competitive type of environment that you want that we we haven't had over the years to the extent when you know when you're comparing it with uh, uh, with other places around the world. I get that. I understand. I understand that. But um, there are plenty of us that are. Uh, that have been around a long time, that have, that have experienced this game on and off the field, that I believe um, are educated maybe even more than he, uh, than he even understands. But when he says something like this, and guys like myself that, that have been around for a while, I ask myself, well, is he saying that this is endemic? Is he saying that this is something that uh, has always been um, uh, missing from the American soccer culture? Because if that's the case, then he should say that. And I would assume that guys like Bob Bradley, Bruce Arena, Steve Sampson, Bora Militinovich, these types of guys that have been in charge of the national team and in charge of American um, players, I would I'd be interested to see what they, what they have to say if fitness is a problem with the American player. Um, but, you know, all of these things are, are, are interesting. I look forward to sitting down once again with Jurgen Klinsmann because I continue to cover him for, uh, for Fox and finding out if he wants to clarify these comments uh, or if he wants to expand on these comments uh, and see um, what his 2015 vision is for this team going forward and if it just relates to fitness or or, uh, or what he has planned for this team. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I'm of two minds when it comes to Klinsman, Alexi. It, it, it's this, again, it's this sort of cultural teachings thing that he's doing, uh, and then it's also about the results and and. If the results weren't where they were, where they are right now, if they weren't as poor as they've been, maybe mm-hmm. we're we're not we're not jumping down his throat about this particular issue. But so so I, I want him to go win games. If he was winning games, I might not be concerned with him criticizing the media for being uh, naive or undereducated when it comes to this sport. I mean, again, it, it it doesn't it doesn't come off right when it's the European guy coming over and and teaching all these rube Americans. We're we're obviously going to get a little a little prickly about that. Well, I, I hope he doesn't think that if he, if he was over in Europe and he is, was going through a streak like this, that the press, the educated press, I guess, quote unquote, that, that he would, uh, that he would not be under any type of scrutiny or any type of pressure. I mean, that that's, that's ridiculous uh, to say. Um, this is, this is not a good moment when it comes to results. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at these, these opportunities at these games, uh, and I, do I want them to win? Yes. But I want them to win by playing in a certain way that I believe is going to get you to the ultimate win, which is to win a World Cup. And that's how you, I think that's how you have to have perspective in looking at these. And I don't think that 
this this assertion that somehow the media and 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 people in the media are all these naive rubes when it comes to covering soccer and they don't understand how soccer really works that's ridiculous mm. and you know to go back to our very first point the poor results that Jurgen Klinsmann has had have nothing absolutely nothing to do with fitness it doesn't seem that way to me although i mean you know that was one of the things pointed to in that game against chile now it's it's interesting the timing too i mean we should consider that that this is an MLS heavy team with, uh, with players who are in the middle of their off season when they came into camp. Now that also points to another comment is he made and, and he's been banging this drum for some time, specifically identifying that MLS should have an 11 month season. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I truly believe that he believes that that would make his job easier. There's lots of things that could probably make his job easier if he had his way. And, you know, just just throwing out these ideas of what ideally he should have or, or would like to have. I mean, I'm not saying that he, he's demanding this or anything. I mean, he's just he's just stating that this would make his job easier, and maybe it would. But uh, you know, for how many years have we seen where leagues and teams and players and technical directors have screamed and yelled about congestion and the number of games and the fatigue of these players and um, I don't know what that sweet spot is where you are getting enough rest, but you are right. still maintaining your fitness on a consistent level um, to to perform on that uh, consistent level. I don't know what that sweet spot is right now. I, I, but like I said, I don't doubt that Jurgen Clinton wants something to change uh, when it comes to the season of MLS, but it's not going to change. It is what it is. And, and I, I appreciate that he wants to ask these questions and he wants to drive forward and he wants to, through that, try to um, to have change happen in the U.S. both on and off the soccer field that's going to help our soccer culture. Uh, but there's also some things that you just have to come to grips with and find a way to work it to your advantage. And, um, and, you, know, and you have to balance as to which ones you're, you're willing to take and which ones you're going to fight against. And Jurgen Klinsmann has, has made it very clear on which ones he he uh, he wants to fight again. When he talks about the 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 MLS schedule and it being the season being too short, and I think he specifically said it's a nine month season. I'm I'm not sure is the issue playoffs. I mean, is that ultimately the issue that not everybody is going into November December and only some teams because I, 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 there's plenty of reaction out there to these comments and and it's even been pointed out that the MLS season the MLS off season is actually shorter than the Bundesliga off season, for example. So exactly. I may have lost Alexi just now. <laughs> I was explaining. Ah, I was doing that. I was. I, I may have lost Alexi Lawless. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break. Can we do that? Can I take a quick break to try to get Alexi back? Because I would love to keep going into this. All right, don't go anywhere. Be right back. Soccer morning on backheel dot com. All right, apologize for the technical glitch. We'll get Alexi back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. All right, we've got Alexi back on the line. I'm not sure what happened there. He didn't hang well, up on me. You, you didn't... I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what happened. My, my, uh, my wife took the car out, and my phone is attached to my car, and so when she gets in the car, my phone triggered down there. So I think you were probably <laughs> asking questions to my wife there for the last couple of minutes. Hey, you know what? Yeah, I... Many would say that she's probably uh, you know, a, a much better interview and, and probably much more intelligent when it comes to answering. Well, well, we should probably get her opinion on this. I mean, I, I wonder how much of, you know, do you bring work home? Do you talk to your wife about some of this stuff when, when you're done in the studio? My wife knows more about the game of soccer than than any person out there um, <laughs> that I that I know, and I, I tell her uh, often I would love to have a a show with her because the stuff that she says um, it's it's money. It's, uh, uh, it's well, pretty incredible the way she thinks about the game. Completely yeah. different to, to, than I do, but okay. um, that's it would good. be entertaining. Well, that's what that's what makes for a good show. And, and since we lost uh, we lost your show with Taylor Twelman after you moved over to Fox Sports. Sounds mm -hmm. like a fantastic podcast idea to me. 
I think where we were, Alexi, was uh, just in this notion of of the eleventh month season and Klinsman talking about it. And, and it it seems to me that perhaps the issue is playoffs, and and because not every player is involved in the playoffs, maybe that's the issue for Klinsman. Is is there any way to? I'm not sure there's a way to fix what he's asking to be fixed. No, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, the, the 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 league is what it is. It's not changing to uh, uh, you know a European uh, schedule. Um, it's not playoffs aren't going anywhere. Uh, this is this is what the reality of being an MLS player is. And uh, whether you're Jurgen Klinsmann or any U.S. men's national team coach, you have to recognize that first and foremost, MLS is an incredible asset that you have. Um, but it's not without uh, without problems uh, and, and without challenges. And so you got to work through those. I mean, look, we're talking about Jurgen Klinsmann as the coach of the national team, but recognize he's a technical director too. Mm. And these are the types of things that technical directors need to be focused on and figuring out and adjusting to and, uh, and, and adjusting uh, in a way that makes the team and the federation better with the recognition that MLS is so important. And maybe, but maybe, maybe they don't think MLS is important, in which case, okay, then uh, um, you can field your team from, uh, from players playing around the world. Well, we already know about the um, – I'm sure it's not hostile at this point, but certainly there's a, there's a relationship, uh, there's a little bit of a back and forth between Klinsman and MLS, and, and we remember Don Garber responding to the last set of comments. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and you've got all of these players coming back, and, and I just wonder – you know what, Jurgen. Whether Jurgen Klinsmann is is making the right decisions in terms of you, you talked about it. If they start tuning him out, well, if, if Josie Outdoor is coming to MLS and and uh, Juan Agudelo, who probably sh- should have a, a national team future, is coming back to MLS, and Michael Bradley's here and Dempsey's here, and all these players are coming back, what does it say about the what they're hearing and what they're taking in from Klinsmann if he is adamantly, you know, adamantly opposed to the notion that the best players should be back here? Uh, I would I would think that some of them are taking it personally. I, I vividly remember at one point years ago being in national team camp and having um, a member of the staff say something about MLS. And you know, back then, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't. I certainly didn't uh, uh, hold my uh, hold my feelings inside. And I remember ripping that person um, for for the comments about MLS. Now, as I said, you know, I was, I was biased uh, and, and I certainly am to a certain extent uh, right now, but I, I would think that players um, to a certain extent take, take it personally when he, uh, when he says something like that. But this is, this is something that Jurgen Klinsmann has, has decided and it, and it's calculated by him. And if that, if he believes that doing this and using this pulpit can affect change that is going to help him, that's good. And as we've said all along, it's not Jurgen Klinsmann's responsibility to help MLS in, in, in any way. His no. job is the, as the coach is to coach the national team and to get the national team to win and to get the national team to win a world, a world cup, however he sees fit. And if it's by at times being, uh, being negative and calling out MLS, um, and that's going to help him do his job and jobs better, then that's what he needs to do. Okay. Do you think there's a difference in the way that the soccer media views him and, and takes in what he says and the and, and the mainstream media? I mean, I, I'm going back to the, his appearance yesterday on America's pregame on your network, and I apologize, I don't know the, I, I don't remember the host's name, but he, you know, he was sort of effusive with his, "Hey, I like you, you know, Jurgen, you, you say what's on your mind," which I, I think we can all appreciate. But is there, a, is there a distinct difference in, in, in terms of the established soccer community and their view of Klinsman and, and how the other, you know, the people who, are, who may like soccer but don't know as much about it view him? Well, it, it, I mean, look, we've covered him now for a number of years. And so we've seen the, um, uh, we've seen the act in terms of how he presents himself. And look, every coach and every person uh, has has an act and presents himself in a certain way. And if you've seen it over and over again, then you start to understand the nuances. Uh, you start to say, yeah, I, I've seen that before, and this is what the reality of the situation is. You know, yesterday in that interview, it, look, you're, nobody nobody interviews better than Jurgen Klinsmann. You come out of a meeting with, whether it's on air or off air, you come out of a meeting with Jurgen Klinsmann, and he, he makes you believe. And he is he is different. But in the same way that if I were to interview 
some NFL coach that, uh, that, that I've never had any encounter with, I'm sure he or she could, uh, could, you know, could, uh, could do an interview and I could be incredibly impressed. And then when I went and talked with the beat writers, they say, yeah, you were impressed, but understand this. And here are the realities of the situation. This is the nitty gritty, but that's what you get from covering somebody or covering a team day in and day out. You understand the reality of that uh, situation and all those little nuances. Well, so, I, I just wonder um, who he's, I just wonder who he's playing ahead. to. Who is he playing to? Is he playing to, to, to the people that are, are, are sort of just going to go, oh, yeah, our team's not as good as it should be. He must be right. Or is he playing to us, as I said, in sort of the, and I mean us as the community, not just media, not just players, not just fans, but just the everybody together, in terms of this, again, this sort of I'm going to be the guru who leads you to the promised land and, and you should be listening to my lessons. Which one is he playing to? Well, I think, you know, if he's playing to us, he's, we're, we're all uneducated, right? So uh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to the, to, you know, a show, for example, yesterday, I think he's playing to a bigger audience. He's playing to people that tuned in this summer just to watch the World Cup because it was the, the U.S. So he understands what that audience is, is out there. And he, he also benefits from the fact that when it comes to the American culture, it's not, soccer is not ingrained in it, and, and everybody is not obsessing over soccer. And so when they see Jurgen talk about these things, and this is the, the U.S. soccer coach, um, and he does it in a different way, and he does it in a wonderfully unique way, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann's personality comes out, and then he's then he's incredibly positive, and you can see the joy and the passion and what and when he talks about it, that plays that plays with people who who don't know, uh, like we said, all the uh, all the nuances and and all the different things that that have gone on day to day, and he understands that he's a, he's a smart guy. I, I got a lot of respect for how he reads different situations, especially when it comes to the U.S. And some of the stuff that he's talking about was evident in that interview yesterday about a culture that doesn't, has, has yet to really embrace soccer, about a culture that maybe doesn't quite understand everything, and, and to use his word, maybe a culture that is, for the most part, uneducated when it comes to soccer, which enables him to get away with doing some of this stuff. It, it's, just, it's just an interesting dynamic because I, I am one of those... I, I'm one of those people who who say that you just can't. Sometimes you just can't rush these things. That it takes time, and 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 developing a a whole a holistic soccer culture isn't something that you can do in 20 years or 30 years or whatever the timeline is you want to put America's real interest in soccer on. You can't. I mean, how is he coming out in public and and castigating MLS players for their fitness going to push us in a direction that's going to get us to the point where? People in the supermarket are identifying MLS players for missing uh, uh, missing sitters. I just don't understand that. I, I don't either. But and, and I, but I go back to that point about the players because we can scream and yell from the outside, um, and that's fun and and it, and it makes for uh, interesting shows and all that. But the only thing that really matters is how it affects the players. And is this getting old? This is why I say that I, I truly believe that national team coaches should have one cycle and be out. Um, and is it, is it getting old? If you're Clint Dempsey or Michael Bradley and you hear this type of stuff, uh, do you just say, oh, come on, just, just, just stop it? Because if he starts to lose those players because he miscalculated this type of motivational message out there, uh, or he went one too many times with this type of stuff, then it's over. It's done. Uh, whether it's, whether you call him technical director or, or coach or whatever, uh, it's done, and that's dangerous. So he is playing um, a relatively uh, dangerous game. But the most important part is how it affects internally. I'm not in a locker room, so I can't say uh, how it is uh, uh, affecting these players right now. But it is dangerous. It's I don't know. It it, it he just cracks me up on on a lot of different levels. And and it, it, the one of the elements that is most interesting is he delivers these messages, and then he kind of goes, "Oh, it's fine." You know, at the end of the statement about fitness, he goes, oh, it's fine. At the end of this conversation on television yesterday, he goes, you know, the question is, are you worried about the Gold Cup? No, we'll be fine. Well, what, then what are you doing here exactly? I mean, <laughs> well, are you, are you offended? Are you, are you feel talked down to when you see Jurgen Klinsmann talk? I, I, I actually am a little bit. I actually do feel like he 
yeah, like he's like he's trying, like he's giving a a message at a summer camp for for twelve yeah. year olds. I mean, yeah. that's exactly how I feel. And that's a miscalculation on his part because there is a soccer culture. It is no longer underground. It is above ground. It is vibrant. It is passionate, and most importantly, as I've said before. It's knowledgeable. It has a history. It doesn't apologize for itself anymore. It's much bigger than people even realize at this point. And that's where this miscalculation is out there. I think that uh, I give much more credit to, and I'm not just talking about the media. I'm talking about the soccer fan, the Mm -hmm. soccer supporter, the American soccer fan out there. And, And by the way, I would put them up against any fan out there in terms of education because they have to work for it at times. They know more about the business of soccer than any fan of any sport in the United States. So um, I, I think it is a, mis, uh, a miscalculation. And, and, and once again, I think it's a dangerous one because there are people out there, and a lot of them, that understand this game, that have a history of this game. And when they are, as you said, at times talked down to, uh, they're saying, no, that's not right. That's not what we are. It's not just, please, sir, can I have another? You know? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that front. And I think there's a difference. Uh, the American soccer community is is very different than the American sports fan community, which I think may be what view, and the, the wider cultural interest in soccer. I think Jurgen maybe doesn't appreciate uh, or, or is just looking past the notion, the idea that the American soccer community is very engaged and knowledgeable but maybe the wider culture isn't as 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 you know as moderately interested as say the entire German culture, for example, which is obviously where he comes from. Um, we had some comments um, just the other day, or, or maybe even yesterday, from Miguel Herrera, national team uh, head coach from Mexico, where he mm-hmm. said, um, "You know, I don't have a problem with with players going to MLS. It's growing. It's it's fine." You know, obviously, he does, he's not a stakeholder in the future of MLS in terms of a major component of his national team. But what does right. that what does that say to you about about Miguel Herrera's attitude versus maybe how Klinsman is is viewing MLS? Well, it's an interesting day when Miguel Herrera has a much worldlier view uh, with regards to soccer than than, than Jurgen Klinsman may may have. Um, I think it's easier for Miguel Herrera to to say it in his position, but like you said, he he doesn't have that that stake when it comes uh, to MLS, but. I do think that, that Miguel Herrera or any international coach has to recognize very quickly that his players um, and the players that can help him win may come from non-traditional areas. And as the world evolves and as, as the soccer world evolves, and certainly as MLS continues to grow, uh, there will be more and more opportunities. And this this higher level type of philosophy, playing at the highest level and testing yourself. Uh, I think that's wonderful. I think that's important. It's an important concept to continue to harp on that I want you to challenge yourself. But there, I believe that there, there is as much and in, in many ways unique and different challenges to, uh, for a player who plays in MLS. And maybe yeah. some that can provide tools and, and assets that others can't have a more traditional, quote-unquote, playing at a higher level. I, I, I just feel like, uh, you know, sometimes Klinsman is as guilty as, as American fans have been over the years. We just get locked into the notion that there's one solution to our problems, Alexi, rather than sort of trying to figure out how we can maximize every avenue that we have available to us. Yeah, we're going to have some guys in MLS. We'll also have yeah. some guys in Europe. and, and some of the, cool. There's a bunch of kids going cool. over there now who have a lot of talent. Well, let me leave you with this. I know you, I know you got to head on, but let me leave you this and, and, and ask you another question here. Uh, when this all started out, I, I can remember vividly going on your show and going on different shows and talking about and asking this question. Um, you know, do, does the emperor have clothes? And I, I don't know. Yeah. It is, is it all smoke and mirrors, Jason? You tell me. What do you think? In my, my, in my opinion, uh, he's moving the goalposts for his own personal uh, you know, for for his own uses, his own purposes. That uh, in this case, he is faced with a string of bad results, and and uh, you know, it is the MLS off season, and and as you said, I think fitness is the the last resort of somebody who doesn't really have anything else to address right now, or he doesn't have the ideas. And, and he, you know, he threw out a new formation, and and he could have talked about that. Uh, I love that. I, you know, I, I I I said on air, I thought that that was actually to use his word. 
a progressive move. I'm, I'm disappointed it only lasted 45 minutes. But look, if this continues to play out and we get to 2018, and uh, I, I would hate to look back on the previous seven years and say we haven't evolved, we haven't moved forward. And that, that would be disappointing. I, you know, I think the jury is, is still out. There are certainly things that I can point to that I think have been positive when it comes to Jurgen Klinsmann, but that would be an incredible waste of, of time and effort and energy and resources to look back seven years from 2018 back uh, and say that we are no better off than we were in 2011 and maybe to argue for some that we are no better off than we were a decade or two decades ago. Alexi Lalas from Fox Sports giving us his take on uh, the Jürgen, the latest in the uh, long line of Jürgen Klinsmann controversies. I don't know if it rises to that level, Alexi, but you know it is what we've got and what we, uh, what we need to talk about right now. Appreciate the time, as always, man. Thanks, Thanks a lot. As always. Thanks. Appreciate right. it. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to grab Grant Wall. We'll talk Frank Borgie, perhaps some MLS CBA, and definitely Tim Cahill leaving the New York Red Bulls. His thoughts as he leaves MLS. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, Backhill.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning and join now on the telephone by Sports Illustrated senior writer Grant Wall. Hi, Grant. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Jason? I'm not too bad. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting time to be covering American soccer, what with Yuri and Klinsman doing more talking, the MLS CBA stuff happening. But I, I grabbed you, and the, re- the regional reason to have you on the show, and it's been a little while, was to talk a little U.S. soccer history with the passing of, uh, of U.S. keeper Frank Borgie at 89 uh, just mm-hmm. the other day, a guy who played in net, uh, in net for the U.S. when they beat England in the 1950 World Cup down in Belo Horizonte, Brazil. And I know you talked to Walter Barr um, about his memories of Frank, and uh, you know this is an opportunity, I think, and uh, you know, I, I'm not one of those people who says that, who, who thinks that Americans don't know you know, don't know their history when it comes to soccer across the board, but there may be some people who don't know Frank or, or what he meant to to soccer specifically in, in St. Louis. What did you take away from, you know, I, I don't know if you've had conversations with him directly, but certainly from talking to his teammates. Yeah. I mean, Walter Barr is uh, the last survivor now uh, of that U S 1915 team. And, um, you know, it, it's, he's the guy that I've talked to the most, over the years uh, about that team. He's 87, a little bit younger than the other guys on the team were. Um, and uh, I'd spoken to him last year for a big uh, piece I did on uh, the Joe Gatchen's goal as one of the top 10 in U.S. history for a uh, big Sports Illustrated package we did. Um, and, you know, Frank Borgie was a, an amazing guy who had even if he hadn't been part of that U.S. 1950 team, would have led an incredible life. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy who uh, got a Purple Heart and other medals uh, in World War II, uh, who uh, you know came back and, and actually played professional baseball for a while in the Cardinals organization. He'd grown up in St. Louis with Joe Barrett and Joseph Garciola, in addition to soccer guys who you know several of the St. Louis guys were on the 1950 team. Um, you know, he grew up in the Hill, which was a part of uh, St. Louis, uh, kind of uh, hard scrabble area with a lot of immigrants, mm-hmm. um, where soccer and baseball were, you know, produced, produced so many professional players over the years, far more than you would have expected per capita. So, uh, you know, just to, to hear these stories about Frank and, and just hear from Walter what a good teammate he was, mm-hmm. besides being a very good goalkeeper, a guy who he described as being very you know, better than other goalkeepers at, at coming off his line. Uh, Walter thought that the baseball skills actually helped uh, with his goalkeeper instincts. And then also in a, in a day when goalkeepers are so often, you know, demonstrating and, and gesturing negatively to their teammates when somebody scores on them, uh, Walter said that, you know, Frank Borgie never did that sort of thing. In fact, he was one of the first guys to to pick up a, a teammate who 
screwed up, leading to a goal, and then took the blame himself a lot, even when it wasn't his fault for something to happen. So uh, pretty impressive guy all around. Now you know I th- I think it's also it it gives um it gives us the understanding this was a very different time not only in American soccer clearly but in in international soccer period Frank Borgie started every game in the World Cup in 1950 and only ended up in, with nine caps in his career nine I mean that's that's kind of mind-boggling that the guy that the guy who was that critical to that team in net could only amass nine caps in an entire athletic career yeah, you know, and, and he they didn't have many U.S. national team games back then. So uh, the national team wasn't nearly obviously what it is today. And, um, you know, he did play at club level and won a couple of U.S. Open Cup titles around that time. Um, so, you know, he was you know, engaged as a soccer player, but the international game just... Uh, you know, it wasn't anything close to what it would become in more recent years. Yeah, certainly there was uh, at the time. They just you know, the, the, I, the, the, there's the movie, and obviously it tells uh, you know sort of a fictionalized version of the story, at least some poetic license taken in, in terms of of how they put that team together and and just getting down there. Um, when you talk to to some of these, when you have talked to some of these guys that were on that fifty team, uh, maybe Walter Barr specifically, you know, what do they make of of the fact that you know they got a little bit of a uh, uh, some late recognition. Later in life, people started to pay attention to the fact that they won that game in 1950 when no one cared uh, at the time. Well, I think they were tickled by it a little bit. You know, I asked Walter the other day what what he and Frank thought of when they got together to see Game of Their Lives, the movie that came out about a decade ago now uh, about the 1950 team. And he said that they laughed because of some of that poetic license that was taken. <laughs> right. And he said that Frank was like, yeah, this is exactly how it happened. But, uh, you know, I, I think for the most part, I, I know uh, some folks were bothered uh, by the way Kirby Aitens actually was portrayed in that film mm. because he wasn't in voodoo. He wasn't some, you know, Serrano character from Major League like they made him out to be. Um, but, you know, some of the other things that were changed were uh, more harmless, you would, mm. you would describe it as. And, um, you know, I, Frank Borgie, man, I mean, that guy, when you look, you know, he wanted to own a funeral home in St. Louis. Um, you know, Walter Barr went on to coach the Penn State soccer team uh, for a number of years and actually got mentioned, uh, he saw Bob Bradley uh, wrote a, a short piece for his brother Jeff's blog about being elected to the Soccer Hall of Fame and, and he cited trips he used to take out to Penn State and, and sit in the house of Walter Barr with him and his wife and Annie Shellshite and talk soccer. And those were some of the most important formative experiences for him as a coach. Uh, so Walter Barr, you know, he did a lot of stuff. And, and you know, the, the bigger public at large, um, you know, knows his sons, yeah. uh, Chris and Matt, who won Super Bowls as place kickers in the NFL. So. Well. Um, there's pretty a, incredible guy. Here we get a chance to talk. About. There's already a generational issue with that. With that, Grant, you and I remember Chris and Matt Barr. I'm not so sure that the younger generation remembers those guys. They were wearing single bar helmets back when they were kicking. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I, I just to kind of put a bow on this. I mean, obviously, it's uh, it's unfortunate the passing of Frank Borgie, but you know, a long, rich life in, in St. Louis and was obviously there for a seminal moment in American soccer history. You know, I just, I'm fascinated by the gap. I mean, it, 1950 to 1990 before the U.S. made it back. And, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, we give them the proper due certainly now as we re- remember. But as you said, with Walter Barr being the last living member of that team, we're going to lose that link eventually. And right now there's no physical U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, Grant. Um, is there some danger here as, of American soccer sort of, you know, leaving that behind and forgetting what uh, what those guys did? You know, I, I'd like to think no, uh, because I think we are going to get another Hall of Fame, a building at some point here. Dallas has been the one that uh, has been talked about as the most likely site. Um, when I was down in Chile for the convention the draft last month uh ran to some people from um, uh suburban pennsylvania actually um who were pitching having a uh, soccer hall of fame so there may even be competition for who who gets that and a lot of the art you know the mementos and memorabilia 
that were in the Soccer Hall of Fame that was in Oneonta, it's no longer there, a lot of that's in storage now. So it hasn't disappeared. You just need to have the building uh, and the demand to to make something like that work. So I, I hope they can get that done. Um, you know, halls of fame in any sport are kind of tough to keep going. Uh, and that's what happened with the Soccer Hall of Fame. So I, I hope they can find a situation that's sustainable. Yeah, certainly with uh, with soccer in, in America being uh, very much a sport of the Internet, we're, we're constantly, you know, we're reviewing our history and sharing our history and all that stuff done digitally makes for maybe less of a concern over a physical Hall of Fame. All right, Grant, while I have you here, let's uh, let's touch on the state of of MLS as it exists right now, and and what I mean by that is the fact that the the uh, previous CBA has has expired. The owners and the players are trying to figure out uh, the new CBA. the st- The season starts in in about a month, and uh, our friend uh, our friend Charlie Bowman and I want to see if if you've heard anything along these lines as well. Is saying that um, with no progress made, players are being told to prepare for a strike. Is that is that a little bit of uh, of PR bluffing? Is that is that legitimate? Where do you think the players are right now? Well, if you look at the history of labor negotiations in any sport, including MLS, you would expect to hear that sort of rhetoric right now. So it's important to, to step back and um, and keep that in mind as there's still a, quite a bit of time left before the start of the season to get a deal done. And it's kind of like you and me when we're, or at least for me, when I'm writing a story and have a deadline, I tend to take it pretty close to the deadline. (laughs) Um, You know, and and so I'm not only really going to take it really seriously as a a strike as a real possibility is if we get get in the last couple of days before the start of the season and this rhetoric hasn't changed. Well, let's... Um, The the issues that they're facing, and, and obviously the big one that the players are are pushing for his free agency. We we know MLS is is certainly not a, a likely to to agree that that's a good idea. Um, the players may or may not strike over free agency, but some of this stuff that's coming out and, and some of the analysis that the community at large and and certainly quality writers are doing is that you know there may be some fundamental structural problems with MLS if they go with free agency. That would mean that to me that would mean that, that there's an impasse that may not be easily fixed unless the players back down and. I think a lot of the MLS fans believe they shouldn't, uh, Grant. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, if you, if you have an under contract and you finish up your contract, um, you would think that that would give you freedom of movement. If you're Garth Lagerway and you work in MLS and you finish your contract, you have freedom of movement. And that's sort of crazy. If you're a player and you see Garth Lagerway moving to the highest bidder, um, I think Seattle was the highest bidder. I'm not 100% certain. Uh, but he was able to choose. He had freedom of choice. And if you're a player, you're like, well, if Darth Lardway can do it, why can't I? Mm. Um, and so, of course, they should have that ability, uh, I feel. Uh, you know, the players in this league um, have a lot stacked against them. I, and, and they also, you know, I, I think, you know, have on the other hand, uh, wanting to thank, you know, the owners for getting this league going and, and they see it getting bigger and that's a good thing but we need to advance here and I, I think if you're a player and you finish out your contract with MLS you should have uh, some freedom uh, to decide where you go next and you know maybe that's something that should come if you have 150 games 200 games in MLS under your belt and you've earned that free agency and that choice uh, I think there's some compromise here that's possible. And I think one of the things that they can find is a different word to use, free agency. <laughs> and I know it's semantics, yes. but I think that might allow both sides to declare victory and find uh, a middle ground here. Yeah, the, the, the issue is, and, and this has been presented a couple of different places, is whether or not instituting free agency would create an opening for MLS to be challenged as single entity. Now, I, I'm not a lawyer. I can't go diving into all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it it certainly seems on the face of it that that logic would follow. I guess it's possible, you know. I mean, I, uh, the, the first really good piece about this from a law expert I saw was on SI's website uh, by Michael McCann about whether MLS is even now a single entity uh, and that the designated player rule in particular could leave it open to a lawsuit. What 
was interesting about that piece was this sort of legal theory. As far as in practice, I certainly don't see MLS, you know, the players' union, uh, talking about suing the league right now or bringing a legal action against single entity again. Uh, I don't think they have the money, to be honest, to do that. They don't have the support of the NFLPA behind this uh, a potential lawsuit like they did and the, the previous lawsuit yeah. uh, back in the late 90s. Um, so I don't see in practice a lawsuit coming here, but I certainly am intrigued by the idea that single entity could be challenged, and, and maybe that is part of what is behind, you know, what's behind Mark Abbott and MLS really digging their heels in and not wanting to move one inch on this idea of free agency. Sure, I mean, if there's a notion of even being challenged, I mean, that's certainly long, a long process that costs everybody a lot of money, and, and uh, you know, I don't know, it's a restriction of trade issue, again, I'm not a lawyer, but it's a restriction of trade issue, and and I've heard some, I've seen some very smart people point out that, hey, you know, there's a a growing second division. How are you actually being restricted in, in who you can sign with? If you can, your contract's up with MLS, go sign an NDSL. Well, that's one of the main arguments that MLS used to help win their lawsuit, the players' lawsuit back in the day. And that was a huge moment in league history when the players challenged single entity. They lost. Uh, and one of the arguments the league made was, well, there's other leagues even in the U.S., and there's clearly other leagues, other leagues globally, so there is competition. Yeah. Uh, last thing before I let you go, you did an exit interview with Tim Cahill as he departs the New York Red Bulls and uh, goes over to China. Quite, a, quite an adventure for Tim. Um, you know, I, I questioned, I had Howard Megdal on the show the other day, and I questioned whether or not uh, Tim Cahill was fully invested. Um, I, I think he's a pretty earnest guy. You got the impression, I imagine, that you know, he did enjoy his time in, in, in New York, and it was just a, a situation where the turnover wasn't going to be um, something he wanted to deal with at 35? Yeah, that was the sense I got. Uh, you know, he was, when we were talking yesterday, he was sort of waxing eloquent on, you know, how much he you know, enjoyed his time there that I finally had to ask him. I was like, so, you know, why are you leaving with a year left on your contract? <laughs> um, and for him, it, it came down to, he said, just the, the sweeping changes that have been made and the fact that at age 35, he just didn't feel like uh, it was something that uh, he was in a position to, to want to stick around for. Um, now, he clearly helped himself yes. on the market, right. uh, on the global market, by having you know, some good performances at the World Cup, some good performances at the Asian Cup to the point where uh, team in Shanghai is paying him quite a bit of money. Sounds yeah. like he's getting a raise yeah. um, to go over there. So uh, I think it's a little bit of a bummer because I think Cahill has been has been good for MLS. Obviously, he didn't have as big of a role down the stretch last season for the Red Bulls um, and wasn't even starting uh, much. So uh, it's you know maybe an one other example, an additional example that this era of the Red Bulls is over. Grant, you still with me? I'm still here. Can oh, you hear me? Sorry, you dropped off there. Another example is is what now? Uh, it's another example that this era of the Red Bulls, the Thierry Henry era, is over. Oh, okay, I apologize. I thought you got cut off there. Um, yeah, so Tim Cahill going to to China, and as you said, it's it's a big payday. I, I, I there are other questions for me about whether or not we would call his tenure. In New York as a, 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 success, a success. I mean, would you would you say it was? Or, I mean, obviously he was part of the team that won the Sporter Shield and, and brought some vibrancy back to Red Bull Arena. But you know, it, it did sort of fade, uh, fade out at the end. Yeah, it's, it's by no means an unqualified success. You know, um, the trophy, the Supporter Shield, that does mean something, um, especially when that team had, had never won a significant trophy before. Uh, and I think 2013 was really his signature year with the Red Bulls. He was on the best 11 in the league. Um, and frankly, I, I was very surprised to see what happened last season where uh, he fell out of favor. He was focused very much on a national team and getting ready for the Asian Cup. Uh, didn't put up great numbers uh, for the Red Bulls. And, uh, you know, what was interesting talking to him yesterday was he really felt like they were on a run to win the MLS Cup. They were in a position to do it last season. Even with Bradley Wright Phillips out, that gave Cahill the chance to start uh, in the game up in New England, and he felt like uh, they were in a terrific position and just couldn't see it through. Um, 
you know. So, yeah, it, it, it's qualified, I think. But I think he's right when he can claim some success yeah. there. Grant Wall, senior writer, Sports Illustrated, joining us. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Grant, and your insight. And hopefully, we'll uh, we'll bring you back soon. Always enjoy it. Take All right, care. there you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, quick phone line opening. That's a terrible sentence. We'll get the Twitter machine working. We'll talk to you. It's Soccer Morning. Backheel.com. Don't go anywhere. Well, this is a game. Always wasn't so. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning. It's a Thursday edition of the program. Thank you very much to Alexi Lalas. Grant Wall for joining us. Now it is your time. Phone lines are open. 347 347- Seven five six six two seven six. Go ahead, jump on the line. Tell me what you make of Alexi's comments on Jurgen Klinsmann and his tenure. Now, this is again Jurgen Klinsmann, and the word holistic comes up. And he's technical director now. In addition to being head coach, he is his. He views his job as not just winning games or not just changing the internal culture of U.S. soccer and helping produce better players. He views his job as as teacher of us all he's sitting here teaching a class we're supposed to be listening and again i I think it's interesting to point out what alexi said about the way that klinsman delivers his message maybe he can't help it maybe that's just his attitude maybe it's just his his effusive german bread california thing but it does it sounds like he's giving a pep talk or or giving a teaching a, a a class to 12 year olds that's what it seems like. Question from Sasha on Twitter. How much longer does Klinsman really have? Team has had very poor results. Sasha, he's got as long as he wants. He's got through the 2018 World Cup. He's not going anywhere. All the eggs are in his basket. 414, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, I want to make three uh, real quick points about today's uh, stuff. Um, right. First is that uh, I listened to a podcast with Gabriel Mercati. And he said that uh, about U.S. fitness, and he said that uh, that uh, sports journalism here, it's kind of lazy to go out here and say that the American uh, player is more fitter. And in his well, no, experience, but- that he didn't necessarily see a difference between the fitness of the U.S. player and the fitness of uh, uh, the European counterpart. Okay, no, no, there's something to that, certainly. And I, I will agree that it's become this this uh, cliche to identify American players as fit. The English do this all the time. When the English deign to give some respect to the American national team, they do it by saying, oh, they're so fit. They can run for days. I, I don't know if, if American players are more fit compared to their English or European counterparts or not, but I do think that they are fit enough to win games. They are fit enough to be successful, and I still think that it's a... This is um, Jurgen Klinsmann making excuses. And, and and then the second viewpoint I would also like to believe uh, uh, is um, if you look at it from a cultural standpoint of uh, sports athletes in general here in the United States, people that come, one of the biggest knocks from people that come from suburban communities or well-off families is that they lack a little bit of desire, that they are a little lazy, that they are a little coddled. Mm. And that's with all of our sports. And if you look at where the majority of U.S. soccer pool is coming from, it's generally coming from set neighborhoods. I, I don't, I, okay. I think that's a generalization that we should be careful with. I, I understand what you're saying, that if you, are, if you are taking care of growing up, you're less likely to be working hard to make it when you become a professional athlete. This is the same argument that says, that in order for American soccer to reach its full potential, we need kids from the inner city because they, that's all they have, and they'll work harder for it. And and well, that's that's the logic seems to line up. I just think we should be careful about claiming that just because a kid grew up in the suburbs, he's not capable of working hard enough to be successful. I, I get what you're saying. You got a third point? Yeah, yeah. And my third point is that Jurgen Klinsmann 
has been talking a lot of stuff over the last three years, and that the uh, he has a boss. The little guy that runs U.S. soccer <laughs> has been very silent, and either that is because he's a weak leader and doesn't want to stand up to what Clinton is saying, or he believes in what Jurgen Klinsmann is saying. I I wouldn't say that Galati's been completely silent. I think Galati speaks when he needs to speak. I do think he believes one hundred percent in Jurgen Klinsmann's program. I think he's committed. I don't even if you're even if Sunil Galati has questions about Jurgen Klinsmann, I think he has committed the immediate future of American soccer to Klinsmann potentially as a as a break as a way to to make people think differently. About the way we're doing things, and 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 I think that Klinsman is, or sorry, Galati is almost willing to take. I don't think he wants to miss a World Cup or lose, but I do think he's willing to put up with some growing pains that maybe the rest of us aren't. And, and there's one other thing too. I would just like to say that uh, you know a lot of people who are educated soccer fans kind of feel the same way about. Uh, Alexi Lawless, when he rants on his stuff, sure. that they're not necessarily, and they're, uh, they don't look at his as gospel, okay, like no, certain and, people do. And I'm sure that Alexi would tell you that his words aren't meant to be gospel. You're, you're, whoever's opinion of Alexi, you're certainly allowed to have that, just like we're all allowed to have our opinion of what Jurgen Klinsmann is doing. This isn't a black and white issue. You're not on Alexi's side or on Klinsmann's side. You can find out, you can figure out a way to process everything that's happening with your own mind. You don't have to listen wholeheartedly to what Alexi says. I don't agree with Alexi 100% of the time, but when he comes on here and says that this smacks of a coach who's out of ideas, I tend to agree with that. Uh, and and I also I also think that Jurgen Klinsmann has a value in the way that he goes about uh, positioning himself. I, I don't know if that makes a, a lot of sense, but what I'm saying is he does bring up questions that we need to to think about and answer he does put himself out there get himself into the discussion at times when american soccer normally isn't even in in, in the news you can't get yeah, a I, I would agree he's definitely what you call it a, a lot of topics touch a lot of topics that uh bruce arena and uh Bob Bradley would uh were very silenced about yeah, at on the, at the, issues. and at the same time and whether or not you find value in that is up to you at the same time, I think Bruce Arena is a better a better soccer strategist slash head coach than Jurgen Klinsmann. My personal opinion, but that doesn't. Oh, I disagree there. But that's all right. You have a great day. All right, man. Thanks. I don't even know who that was. Who was that? No idea. It was a good phone call. We can give we can give you one more minute three four seven seven five six six two seven six to jump on the line if you have thoughts on Klinsmann. Certainly thoughts on uh, on the CBA that we talked about with Grant Wall or, or Frank Borgie for that matter. Game of their lives. Here's an admission. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a game of their lives or Miracle on Grass or whatever the hell they changed it to. Should I? If I'm making a list of the top five soccer movies, is it in there? Trevor, have you seen Game of Their Lives? John Harkes is in that movie, right? Number one, Big Green. <laughs> Number two, Ladybugs, right? Definitely Ladybugs is in there somewhere. Goal, the dream begins. I see. I I think in terms of of my socks kicking and screaming, Mike Ditka play, playing a soccer coach. How can you go wrong? I think in in the hierarchy of soccer movies, the things I need to see. Sorry, my soccer movie must watch list. I should put game game the game of their lives on there, and I think I need to put the FIFA movie on there. I need to hate watch the FIFA movie. Sub Blatter, played by um, who was that? It's a guy from, <laughs> I know, I, I, Tim Roth. I have, I have a version. I had a copy somewhere or something. I just haven't watched. I'm going to sit down and watch Tim Roth play. Is that bladder? What are you kidding me? All right. Here's your daily reminder. Well, we, let's squeeze in one more phone call. You guys call. I'll get you on. 404. Who's this? Uh, it's Cam Jason. Hey, what's going on? How are you? Uh, you know, I'm fired up. I can hear it. Sounds good. <laughs> what's on your mind? <laughs> Let what, me know when you're ready. What, go, what's on your mind? Go ahead. Oh, I, Jason, I just wanted to say that I totally agree. Bruce Arena is a better X's and O's manager than J.K. And my biggest concern is where's the youth development movement and revolution that Jurgen Klinsmann promised? Under his um, leadership, we haven't seen any real well, youth development. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, you, you go back and look at the U20 performance in Jamaica. You make your own judgments there. Um, I trust Tab Ramos to, to coach those guys up. 
I don't know that they played the best that they could have. I think there are some issues at the youth level. When we talk about whether or not Jurgen Klinsmann is delivering on his promises, I actually don't think a youth development revolution is something I'm going to hold against him. That takes time. The man's the man's been on the job for three and a half years. I don't expect him to have created some sort of game-changing system at the younger levels that's going to give us immediate results when it comes to our youth players. We've got kids coming through our system as the European scouts continue to trickle over, as the Mexican scouts continue to poach, as the MLS academies get even more, uh, even better at developing kids. We've got kids who are coming up, who are exciting, who I'm anxious to see whether or not they become uh, senior-level professionals and can contribute. I totally agree, and I'm sorry for interrupting. I totally agree with you on that front. I believe the talent is there. But when you have a coach who goes from a 4-3-3 and says this is going to be the national team system and now changes it, when we never had at the national, the senior team level, the the skilled players that could play total football and run a 4-3-3, we should have been on a 3-5-2 two years ago, three years ago. And now, you know, and this is not a talent issue. The talent in the U.S. exists. This is an X's and O's issue. Bruce Arena, Bob Bradley, they recognize that given the talent that we have, you have to play a certain system that benefits that talent. Yeah. You don't play a 4-3-3 because it's in vogue because Barcelona's winning Champions League. Uh, it's interesting. Thanks for the phone call, man. i got to wrap up Thanks, this partner. show. Hey, there, there is some opinion out there, and I can't remember who it was in my timeline, but I'm going to go back and look, and maybe we'll grab one of these guys, certainly soccer writers of some ilk. They are of the opinion. If you go back and watch, the United States played Germany in the quarterfinals of the 2002 World Cup. That since then, American soccer, the national team, maybe not American soccer on the whole, certainly MLS is much bigger and better, etc. But the national team itself has regressed. That's possible. It it, it seems unimaginable. But if the United States men's national team has regressed since 2002, something's going wrong. Now, I know, I'm not one of those people who would tell you that it's going to be a straight line up. That the progress of the national team is always going to be straight up. They're going to be plateaus. There may even be dips. But that is interesting to consider. All right. 3NLFC.com. Go buy a t-shirt. Backheel.com slash store. Go buy a mug. I forgot my mug today. I got to get my mug back. Uh, make sure you go to iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. Uh, that's it. I, I think that's it for today. Thanks again to Alexi Lawless and Grant Wall. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Another big episode on a Friday heading into a weekend of soccer. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Bye.